Welcome back to episode 142 of the Blockrunner podcast. Here is where we discuss the latest developments in cryptocurrency while we make this new technology relatable to you. You can watch this podcast on our YouTube channel to follow along with our discussion. As always, I'm your host, William, talking with your co-host, Iron Man, and today we interview Travis from Quadrata. Here are some of the topics we discussed today. First up, we asked Travis what is Quadrata and why it's important to decentralized identity. Next, are we worthy enough of a crypto loan or is it exclusive? Then, how decentralized identity will enable the true Billion dollar metaverse. And finally, Travis talks about how Quadrata has partnered with major crypto pioneers. All right, let's listen in. Welcome back to episode 142 of the Block Runner Podcast. I'm your host, William, always here with your co-host, Iman. What's going on? All right, and on the sticks, we got TJ. Hey. And with a special guest today, we got Travis. He's the head of product at Quadrata. Welcome, Travis. Is, is that how it's pronounced? Hey, happy to be here. I've heard Quadrata. Yes, Quadrata. Okay, Quadrata. Quadrata. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I like that name. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so thank I, you. I like the other pronunciations, though, you know, getting it out there. Yeah, <laughs> Quadrata. I, I, somebody said that. I was like, yeah, maybe that's how it's supposed to be said. But Quadrata is like quadratic, right? Yeah, it's quadratic. That's, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Travis, thank you for being here. We got a couple of questions. We're inherently interested in the decentralized identity space because of our own project and but we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, I want to hear personally from you is like, how did you get into the crypto space in the first place? And, uh, you know, how did you get involved in Quadrata to begin with? Yeah. So my crypto experience goes back to 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. So I was relatively early on. Um, at the time I was working for a biotechnology hardware startup, uh, which was super, super fun and interesting. And, but that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a friend of mine, uh, who was at, at Ripple, mm-hmm. um, which as you know, is, you know, one of the early, uh, people coming into the space and they needed a user experience designer, which is, uh, what my background is in. So, I was talking to her for a long time, trying to get up to speed, learning all about this kind of stuff um, around summer, fall 2013. Uh, ended up interviewing at the company, loved the stuff they were doing and uh, basically the advantages that they had. I was like, this is going to be a super intellectually stimulating job. Like it's really early on, not a lot of this other stuff was going on. Uh, and I signed on and joined in 2014. Uh, and I worked there till uh, late 2016, doing a bunch of different projects, uh, you know, from UX design, moved over to product management, uh, working on Ripple Trade, working on uh, like account administration, working with financial institutions, working on compliance, all that fun stuff. Um, and then it, towards the end of 2016, I left, uh, you know, was doing some consulting stuff on my own. Uh, and then kind of avoided the blockchain space for a while because I was working on compliance and identity, which is what I actually really love. Uh, as you are probably well aware, 2014 was too early yeah. for compliance and identity and blockchain. <laughs> uh, people were not into it in the space. Uh, mm. A lot of the financial institutions we were talking to very into it, but it was not widespread. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there was also a lot of you know anti-Ripple sentiment um, back in the day. So I kind of avoided it for a while uh, and then got intro to Quadrata. Um, beginning of last year uh and it turned around really quickly like i was like okay compliance and identity this is what we're working on this is like the right time for it now uh you know seven years later <laughs> uh so that's that's what brought me even brought me back in uh and yeah i've been super excited to work with them uh everybody's been great and yeah i'm, I'm loving it you know travis today is not everybody's favorite niche in blockchain right. but it's mine right no, no i totally get it give us a give us sort of like a quick overview of what Quadrata is, what's the solution being offered to the marketplace? Like, yeah, and and how do how does one leverage uh, the products of Quadrata? Yeah, so Quadrata uh, basically provides on-chain uh, identity products. So we have started out with um, looking at things like DID, decentralized identifiers, um, which are like proof of humanity, making sure that an individual is an individual. Uh, so this is a problem across a lot of different spaces. You see it a lot in like metaverse and gaming uh, mm-hmm. that you need to make sure that you don't have bots. But there's also, um, you know, people are already and companies are linking accounts together on the back end, looking at like chain analysis, stuff like that. But this is how you can actually like purposely link accounts together on the front end as well. If you have multiple passports with the same DID, you know, it's the same person. 
Uh, country is a really big deal, uh, you know, especially because a lot of projects are avoiding the U.S. So there's uh, exclusionary things that you can uh, integrate into your smart contract. Um, but there's also inclusionary things. You're like, hey, I really want to offer products to people that are in Brazil or El Salvador. You can target those types of countries specifically. Uh, the other one is an AML uh, score. So this is a risk score of anti-money laundering, you know, of on a scale of like one to 10, 10 is sanctioned entities. You're like, okay, great. Don't want to work on that. One right. is like, yeah, this is totally fine. Uh, but it allows dApps to actually choose their risk score and what they're doing based on their jurisdiction, their view of blockchain, um, all that kind of stuff. So we have a published risk matrix that allows them to make those types of decisions. So that's basically what we started out with. Um, and you saw from the previous episode uh, that you did the partnership with Cred Protocol. Mm-hmm. So that brings an on-chain credit score uh, that allows dApps to be like, okay, if we're you know, doing uh, like uncollateralized lending, under-collateralized lending, yeah. or even just access to other financial products that require some sort of credit score on-chain, that allows them to do that. So we're basically building out these attributes that are all on chain, uh, they're all auditable. You see them when they're happening. Uh, so if you're going back uh, in in time on previous blocks, all that kind of stuff, you can make sure that everything was like actually accurate, executed correctly, uh, and is out there. So we're looking at adding a ton more data points. Um, you know, the on chain credit score is just one thing that we're going in that direction. Uh, but yeah, so we're growing all those types of things so you, to utilize uh, the Quadrata passport. It's a really simple integration. It's a couple lines of code in your smart contract to check the attribute, um, set what your thresholds are, what you're looking for, and then you're pretty much ready to go. So what is being sent to the end user? So say, for example, I'm a Metaverse player and uh, I'm accessing a, a DAP and I have to acquire this decentralized identity. What is being sent to my wallet? Is it an actual NFT? Is it, uh, is it a soulbound token? I mean, what, what's happening technically? Yeah, so it's something that's a little bit of a variation of the NFT. It's not quite soul bound. It's not quite a simple NFT. So they're not allowed to be transferred. Uh, so that's blocked. So you can't onboard, get a passport, send it to somebody else. Uh, but it's not soul bound in the sense that it can be burned. So this mm-hmm. is one of the things that we're looking at on, you know, security analysis stuff. If a if your wallet gets compromised. You don't want to have a soul bound identity token attached to that. That's going to be attached to your identity for the rest of your, you know, blockchain existence, right. uh, which is ideally forever. Uh, right. So we didn't want to have fully soul bound tokens. So being able to burn the passport uh, is a really important feature, both from the user standpoint or from an issuer standpoint. If some, if basically the one of the data providers does not stand behind their uh, attributions at some point, they can basically remove their attributions from what's going on as well. So it's not a soul bound, hey, we've minted this, this exists, this is your identity forever. Um, And that's also true because identities change, like people grow over time, they do uh, different things, somebody can be entirely clean, and they can start money laundering. And then that's a thing that needs to be updated over time. So uh, we're not looking at like the soul bound solution, we're looking at like, how does identity change? Hmm. Can a can an individual only be issued like a passport once in their lifetime, or can I don't know for whatever reason, let's say they ruin their reputation on chain over time after like a four or five year stint mm-hmm. of leveraging whatever passport standard that exists? Could I just opt to kind of burn the the passport or whatever the identifier is to myself, and uh, maybe reissue a new passport from a different organization or something like that five years down the line? Kind of like start over my whole identity. Is, is that possible potentially? So for the Quadrata passport, that's what our DID decentralized identifier does is so you can't reboot your own identity. Uh, if you burn your passport and then uh, try to make a new one, it'll come up with the same DID, okay. uh, which is then linked to different attributes that that issuer uh, mm. has also linked to. So you can't be like, oh, I've done uh, some money laundering stuff. Let me burn that passport. Let me start again. So that DID will continue to be linked to uh, you know your AML risk score. So stuff like that. There are things right now um, that are 
you know, rebootable, as you would say. So like the cred protocol score mm-hmm. is currently tied to an individual wallet. So that's for a particular address that they have. But with the cred protocol score, how, how it's actually set up is if you don't have any history or reputation, mm-hmm. it's going to give you a low score just as in any yeah. sort of credit score stuff. So yeah. you, you could reboot, but you'd have to then build, you know, five years or like yeah. a bunch of great credit stuff before you could ruin it again. So mm-hmm. it's built in, it's built and incented in the same way that a normal credit score is. Hmm. That's interesting. So then what happens in a scenario where, cause I like thinking about fringe cases just so that I understand like the scope of the application of something like this. So what exactly are you tying to this DID from like a physical standpoint? Are we, are we talking about like a physical driver's license, a, a physical passport? Like what is being tied to this ID that, that allows you to know as a, as a business, as a user myself, as a business owner, we're leveraging Quadretta. How do I know for sure that the, my users who have a, this passport, this digital passport, that they're actually human. Like what's the technical connection between the body and the, the, the digital passport? Yeah. So right now, uh, the issuer that we have for DIDs, uh, has an onboarding flow that uses some third parties that go through that you actually are looking at, uh, taking a selfie of that individual for live verification of humanity. And that's being tied to, uh, a government issued document of like a passport driver's license. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of jurisdictions have different types of government issued documents uh, that gets tied to that. So we ha- there is that tie to humanity right now going on. Mm, okay. That makes sense. So that means that in a, in a fringe case, if someone was uh, well-equipped, they could just spin up a bunch of fake driver's license and, and, and fake passports and, and get these identities, these digital identities, right? Well, sort of. So there's just the, uh, there's the physical document aspect, but that actually has to also match a live selfie, um, that's going on as well. Oh, so you yeah, can't, right, right. you'd then, you know, have deep fake technology. You then have to have, right, right. uh, names and addresses and birthdays that also pass other like compliance checks and sanctions list reporting and watch lists. So, you know, as we know out in the world, there are, identity, identity fakes, identity thefts, all that kind of stuff. But it is built in such a way to reduce that as much as possible with the idea of fully eliminating it. So, you know, there are always going to be some edge cases, but the structure that we have with the issuers is like, we do due diligence on them to make sure they're following great security practices, that they are Mm. uh, using well-vetted vendors for all this kind of stuff and using the same technology that banks are using as well. So, You know, they're using similar uh, vendors as if you're si- signing up to a bank and they're doing their compliance checks. So all that kind of stuff is really like, you know, industry leading uh, compliance and document verification. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, as long as, you know, the participants in this ecosystem are following just the, the standard protocol, there's not really you can there's not a whole lot you can do with people who are well equipped to like fake, fake passports, even though. You know, like you mentioned, we have uh, deep fake technology. We're coming up with AI, really sophisticated artificial intelligence. Um, and so I, I, as a business owner, I, I just like to understand the fringe cases because as my players, you know, are active in our game, I can start seeing some, I can start looking for some discrepancies in like the activities. Like all of a sudden there's a lot more activity than what should be. And I can sort of predict what our users are doing if, you know, they happen to be involved in like this nefarious activity. I like thinking about these things because I, I can start understanding the scope of making sure that our users are actually like real people and not, mm. you know, trying to come up with like fake, fake passports and like fake stuff. Right. So, um, so yeah, that's a, that's a good sort of like thinking point for me just to kind of figure out like what what it what it takes for businesses to really take advantage of technologies like this i guess this is like something that will be over time i think this sector of the identity has a lot of parallels between like maybe like smart contract auditing where over time these these auditors they become much more they build reputations themselves right where you can rely on them yeah and you know if a human is verified through a passport like quadrata yeah you know 
as long as there's not too many uh, exploiters yeah. over time, I'm sure you guys are heavy on that, like trying to find out who, who is figuring out ways to game the system. Yeah, yeah. Because we know if any new technology, any new standard emerges, somehow somebody's going to try exactly. and exploit it, right? But over time, the most reputable providers will crack down on that stuff, right? So so that brings me to like yeah. my, my next yeah. thought on all this. What, what in, in Quadrata internally, how do you guys think of, government adoption for stuff like this is mm. this is this a consideration for you guys or is this something like completely independent of like government adoption is that a consideration for you guys yeah so i mean the government adoption thing is always an interesting topic because yeah. as you know they move a little bit slower than people who mm, are right. uh you know startups boots on the ground yeah. uh, moving forward so we definitely have that in mind and all that. So one of our uh, advisors is Kristen Smith, uh, who is on the uh, blockchain association. So there's definitely like stuff that we have ties into, you know, what is the government doing? What kind of lobbying efforts are happening around blockchain overall? And we do see um, identity, digital identity on chain uh, being a key to a lot of the other stuff that we want government regulations to like look forward to to actually have decentralized networks allow these things to work in ways that are both independent as well as linked to the uh, traditional financial institutions hmm. um you know blockchain in and of itself is never going to be fully separated um but it's yeah. never going to be fully joined up with those things so the government adoption is a really uh, key thing there so you know when we're looking at what the requirements for identity are you know, we are making sure that the data issuers, all those uh, things are using, you know, bank grade uh, type uh, vendors, bank grade data providers uh, to make sure that things are going in the right direction and uh, allowing us to queue as close to a government acceptable uh, identity as well as a blockchain decentralized network acceptable identity. So we do think there's a there is an overlap there. Um, and it's not all transactions require some sort of government acceptable identity thing. Um, right. You know, if you're going down to the corner store and uh, buying alcohol, they're going to check your ID to see if you're over 21. That's the only check. They don't check compliance stuff. If you buy a stick of gum, you don't even do that. So there are transactions that don't require any sort of identity verification whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But there are transactions, um, you know, if you are joining a lending pool that has institutional investors, and they need to make sure that, you know, their funds are not being mixed with somebody who does terrorist financing, yeah. <laughs> then you're going to have heavier identity checks yeah. for those types of things. So it is really a spectrum. And we're adding, you know, we have these data points that are allowing dApps to make that uh, decision, as well as, you know, dApps in different jurisdictions. They might make different decisions on the types of things that, that are acceptable. Uh, and then we're also adding more data points, you know, as, uh, you know, you're talking about, it's going to get better over time of, you know, what kind of data is available. So you look at uh, DIDs and bots and like, yeah, there might be some edge cases where there's some stuff that sneaks through. Ideally, that's not the case. Um, we're going to get better over time with that. We haven't seen mm -hmm. anything of uh, stuff sneaking through, but then there are other data points like, well, it's like AML score. So if these are bots that are involved in like a scam or money laundering, you can look at an AML risk score as well, which gets updated over time. And maybe it's like, okay, that DID is great, but their risk score is like a seven out of 10. And that's not somebody that we want to deal with. So whether it's a bot mm -hmm. or a human, you can be like, okay, that's not somebody that we want to have in our game because we're dealing with real financial instruments. Mm. Uh, so those are the types of things you can add together data points to basically create the picture that makes sense for your application. Hmm. That Man, I got so many questions. <laughs> so yeah. um, <laughs> that's why we're here, dude. Yeah. Okay, let's let's stick with AML. So I have, I have a question on AML specifically, and then I have sort of an idea of why I brought up a government or institutional like adoption. But um, as far as AML goes, do you guys do um, on-chain analytics to start connecting, e like, for example, ETH addresses who somewhere down or upstream have committed some sort of uh, money laundering and has sort of like a trickle-down effect where that money ends up touching this ETH address down the line and that has a potential uh, score of money laundering. So it would be kind of higher on the end. So is that the analytics that you guys perform as far as AML or is that a third party uh, service? 
So that's a third-party service, but that's basically what we are trying to enable and allow the AML score to reflect those types of analytics. So it is true that different companies are looking at and you know different compliance departments at DAPs or organizations view compliance in slightly different ways. And so that allows for different third-party vendors to basically provide that type of information. But yes, we are looking at the trickle down, like, you know, something started here uh, and it moves and it moves and it moves. And like, this is associated with money laundering. Yeah, that's going to be a higher risk score for this end account um, that comes through. So, you know, the way that that uh, hits our AML score uh, is basically we've got some uh, thresholding, we've got some other stuff coming okay. in. We're, so we're the um, the issuer that's doing that's doing that has continuous monitoring, so they're getting updates daily from those uh, third party uh, analytics providers, uh, ingesting that and then spitting out what that means to our standardized AML score. So any issuer that comes in that issuers and issues an AML score on the Quadrata passport mm -hmm. is going to be in a standardized rubric. So gotcha. that way, DAPs can consume whichever issuer they want. Ideally, they're fungible that any issuer means the same thing, but it's also, the DAP is like, mm, I personally trust this issuer in particular. They can just take the score from that issuer. Oh, I see, I see. So that means that if my DAP um, has a bunch of, uh, a user base with uh, a bunch of uh, these digital passports and my user base, uh, I, I guess I service my user base as long as their AML score is five and below. That's, that's how it would work, right? Yeah. Okay. So if anyone yep. breaches yeah. goes above five, then you can't use my DAP, basically. Yeah, and so there's a lot of flexibility within that too. So it's not just you can or can't use my DAP. Um, it might be that a score of um, five means like, okay, you can't create new positions in my DAP, mm. but your money is not frozen because you don't have a legal obligation to freeze those funds. Mm -hmm. So that might be mm -hmm. something that's like, hey, we don't want you here. You can't get any new rewards. You can't do anything, but you can withdraw your money at a five. But at a nine, you're like, well, your money, like, you know, you can only withdraw a certain amount or whatever. Or at a 10, you're like, oh, I can't deal with say, sanctioned individuals. Like, we're going to totally lock you out of everything. So it mm -hmm. allows for flexibility of what your DAP actually requires. So for a, a game, it might be like, hey, yeah, you know, we can tell you're not a bot. You can play our game, but you can't actually get any rewards in there. Like, you know, you mm. add to the community and like as a game player, but like you can't financially interact with the game at a higher score. Interesting. But it might be at a lower score, you can do that, but then get the reward as well. So it allows you to tailor the experience to what your compliance requirements are. Mm. That makes sense because there's so it's everything is going to be a spectrum. And so Say, for example, my player base is, uh, for example, a logic would be that, hey, you've earned about a thousand bucks. Now you need to uh, send us your your uh, your picture. And, and now you need to take a picture and like turn on your camera and do all these sorts of things in order to extract those funds into your wallet uh, or claim those funds. So it gives us the flexibility to kind of create that logic based on, you know, the rules of like the regulation, like you're saying, of the country that we're in right so that makes a lot of sense yeah. so <laughs> how, how many countries are actually i guess onboarded or in a you know because it oh might... i would have to double check the last the last time i had uh we had passports in over 50 countries okay uh i don't remember i I don't want to say something that's untrue. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. know it's higher than that, uh, yeah. but at least 50. Uh, I haven't double checked lately, <clears throat> but it's available in, I think, over 100. But okay. not every country, not every individual is, uh, has signed up for a Quadrata Passport yeah. yet. Yeah. So how do you guys determine the, the differences? Like, let's go back to the situation that happened with Tornado Cash. So Tornado Cash is supposed to be a privacy protocol, but of course anybody can use it for anything as far as like money laundering as well. So do you guys have specific analytics for, let's say the government says these ETH addresses came from North Korea. Like these ETH addresses are on, are on the OFAC list, right? Nobody can do business with them. Mm -hmm. But what about the ETH addresses that used, you know, privacy, right? Use Tornado Cash for privacy. Is that something that we can get granular and start figuring like we get a dashboard of information of this stuff or how do you is it just the 
the numeric number that we receive as far as like a business user, a business owner of a, you know, using this protocol? Like, how do we get that feedback of, uh, of, you know, these ETH addresses are good and, and those are not? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things with Tornado Cash as an OFAC sanction thing is really on the business end, you don't, you don't have the decision. Uh, I mean, you do have, you always have a decision, but all of the stuff that came through is sanctioned. So, you know, even if they're like a good person that was using it for privacy right. or somebody who's doing North Terra, you know, North Korea and terrorist financing stuff, unfortunately, the government did not make that distinction. Mm, so okay. while that would be really great for the case, that is not the case of how that actually has turned out. And I know that there are suits against that going on right now, yeah. um, which, you know, hopefully will be resolved to be more like, oh, these entities are sanctioned, not this software is sanctioned. Mm. But as of now, those are basically going to turn into a score of 10. So that is, you know, somebody who has um, ETH that came from the Tornado Cash stuff um, that's above a certain threshold. So one of the things that we have right now is like kind of those dusting level attacks that are like a very small or like infinitesimal percentage of somebody's wallet. Like you're not actually dealing with uh, laundered stuff coming through Tornado Cash. Mm. But anything that is of like any sort of substance, that's tagged as a 10. So you as a DAP... Um, when you're looking at the Quadrata Passport, you will see a 10, you will see a sanctioned address. Um, if you so choose as a DAP, as you can do, because that's what you're doing, you're running your own business, and you want uh, to specifically allow particular addresses that you're like, well, I'm going to take the like the compliance risk on mm -hmm. that they were not doing sanctioned stuff. You can then, you have your Quadrata Passport integration that you're checking stuff, but you can always in your smart contract because you control it, do things for particular addresses so you okay. can say hey like i've talked to this address like i'm going to before it goes like it's like basically if this address don't look at the quadrata passport because i'm going to approve them if any other address gotcha. go through the quadrata passport process so we're not dictating what apps do uh yeah we don't think dapps should work with sanctioned entities or deal with yeah, that kind sure. of stuff i mean that's just from our uh compliance side but yeah it's really up to the dapps themselves to decide what fits their need and their jurisdictions. Is there sort of a, like a rubric of what a 10 means? Does a 10 automatically mean it's like associated with North Korea and like tornado cash? Or is there some sort of interface where I can see like, hey, everybody in my DAP is a 10, you know, it's like, or what if, what if somebody, what does that mean? What if some event outside of, I guess, the scope of what the DAP is monitoring some participants within the ecosystem, I guess the scores continually fluctuate or does it, you know, over time, like some event happens and somebody gets a 10 because they've been associated to. Yeah, using like Tornado this. Cash. Like, does Quadrata, I guess, yeah. notify the DAP in, in any way? Like, you know, one of these users who's, who has a passport with you guys, by the way, in case you know, they've been, I guess, yeah. associated to some sort of. Uh, overnight, do all yeah. my users become uh, a 10 <laughs> because they happen to touch Tornado Cash? Like, yeah. It's, is that how it works? It could happen, right? Yeah. How would we know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, basically. So okay. uh, to answer the first part of the question, there is a rubric uh, that's available. So we have a risk score matrix that's available in our documentation that lines up basically what each score means. And a 10 is a sanctioned entity. So okay. basically at a 10, you know it's somebody that like, is sanctioned on an OFAC list, like somebody you should not be dealing with. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, the scores vary over time. So this is something that happened with Tornado Cash, that they were suddenly sanctioned. Um, which means that the uh, data provider doing on-chain analytics implemented that. Uh, and so that then cascades through the whole system and ends up in our risk score. So yeah, you could mm -hmm. overnight, if all your users were Tornado Cash users, uh, then they could all go to a 10 overnight. So mm -hmm. there's definitely the continuous monitoring aspect, which is really cool. important for dApps. Like you need to make sure that happens. And that's all on-chain and in your smart contract level. So you hmm. as a dap don't need to get informed and like then change your smart contract it's already set up mm -hmm. to yeah. deal with people who are at a score 10 however you need that to happen um That's so, so cool. yeah it's just it's so, it's automatic do we yeah. set those parameters i guess before, yeah. as an onboarding process as a dap yeah like a, or is standardized across the board you know like a, a, a spectrum of yeah it, it sounds like we we set those parameters because we can opt to deal yeah. and, and work with people with a 10 yeah. But it's we take the risk, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. but it's totally up to so us. So we we'll customize the yeah. our own smart contract for this. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. 
So I wanted to get to uh, an idea. So it's not really so much an idea because I think you guys have thought about this before. But um, when going back to uh, the government and their adoption of this. So when it comes to AML and all this stuff, you have to submit pictures, passports, driver's license, and then sometimes you have to turn on your camera and like, you know, look left and right and all this crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to government adoption, someone, there's an entity, a third party who's holding all these <laughs> images and pictures, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking, and I know you guys thought about this because it's not a stretch, but what I was thinking is, even if that database gets compromised, which as we've seen it throughout history, databases have been compromised, right? It's not Quadrata's fault. It's nobody's fault. It's just how things work, right? Mm -hmm. The database gets compromised. It exposes everybody's driver's license and passports and all this stuff. What I was thinking when it comes to the government, I was like, what if it didn't matter that all these images and your personally identifiable information got compromised if if the government recognized that those pictures are associated to a private key, right? Your MetaMask. And in order to use those pictures, in order to get a loan for a car, you have to sign a transaction that's associated with those images. Mm -hmm. Like, a, like, like if you had a Quadrata passport, you had to sign a transaction to, uh, to make sure to, for the government to recognize that you actually are the identity holder and not the hacker because a hacker has your images. They've stolen your identity, mm -hmm. but they don't have your private key. Have you guys thought about implementing something like that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's 100% the case, that, that private key thing. So you hopefully your individual wallet isn't compromised along right. with your pictures and all of that. So right. this is one of the things that I think is really interesting with these digital identities uh, and blockchain is the standard of being able to be like, okay, I can prove that I am who I am because I have access to this private key. So that doesn't necessarily correlate to you being who you are because somebody could have compromised your address. You could have shared that private key. Um, True. Quantum computing can come along and like yeah. break some you know, encryption algorithms. There's a bunch of stuff. So that in and of itself isn't quite sufficient, but also the documents themselves aren't sufficient as you know, as you mentioned, just because I have your passport doesn't mean that I am you. Mm -hmm. Like right. I can't actually represent all that kind of stuff. The combination makes it a little more secure. So this is going into like two-factor authentication types of modes. Right. And I feel like there's going to be long-term some of this like multi-factor authentication of you are who you are for being able to actually accomplish something. I think blockchain is really allows that for be to be the case. You can have uh, private keys that are self-custodied. You can have private keys or multi-sigs that are um you know associated with a uh an exchange or a different wallet or another service to go through there's something maybe on the government side that you can prove you have these documents that can go and all this. so i think you get into like a lot of this multi-factor authentication which i think is really really cool and yeah. you know going towards government adoption long term like you're seeing some more of this uh happen in in small ways so um uh, Estonia, you know, they have their uh, EID thing, which I can't remember the name of specifically, but you can sign government documents using a digital identity rather than, you know, just signing in and being like, yeah, that's my name. That's yeah. who I am. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really interesting aspect. What is hard on the other side of that, especially dealing with private keys, is what happens if you get locked out of your own identity? Like if you lose a private right. key, if you don't have access, which is why I think this multi-factor authentication and being able to kind of like reassemble is going to be really important over time. Um, and that the user experience of digital identity is really, really important over time because you have to be able to like self-custody or manage somewhere how your identity is being used. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see this happening now where somebody's identity is, is stolen, AKA a uh, bank did not go through proper fraud checks and like, you yeah. know, gave a loan to somebody that's not you. Like, you know, that's for my, for my personal thing, that's the bank's fault. That's not your fault. Right. Uh, I agree. But if that's happening on chain and somebody can represent in, in like a multi-factored way and they're like, oh, well, no, that's provably you. That's a bad thing. Or if you get locked out and you're like, I can't prove I, I am me anymore and get locked out. That's also a bad thing. So there are these considerations of like, we're taking uh, small steps now uh, to go in a direction that's hopefully not a dystopian future where yeah. it's like, because working for 99.99% of people still means that one out of every 10,000 
it doesn't work for. And that's a lot of people that in the is. world. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things too. Like, I don't believe that the digital identity stuff is necessary for every transaction, because if you do that and you hit those edge cases, then that means there are some people that are locked out of the system entirely. And we don't want that. So there's definitely a balancing act. And as the user experience gets there, as blockchain is underlining more, more technologies, I feel like it's going to be there and there will be some government adoption eventually of it. But I feel like it's almost harder for the government to adopt it, where it's like some of its citizenry can't access the, the system. I feel like it's a bigger deal than uh, some of the citizenry not being able to access, uh, you know, some particular private company or some decentralized protocol. So I think you got to be really, really cautious on like there's government embrace and then there's government requirement. And mm. I think that we want to mm. get towards the embracing, but not necessarily the requirement stage yet. Mm. That's interesting. So how much of that uh, plays into designing products for you guys internally? Do you guys design products? I, I guess I, I, I'm answering my own question. So I'm, I'm assuming you guys design products for like the problems that exist today, but not necessarily for a government solution that they should adopt because it's better and, and a lot easier for, the, uh, you know, having access to a, a loan without having to physically show up to a bank. Because mm -hmm. obviously if you have, if you've stolen someone's identity, you have their passport and driver's license and you go to the bank to try to get out a, a loan using this information, they're not going to give it to you because you don't look like the guy. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but what if you didn't have to go to the bank and you wanted to get a loan for whatever reason, you were able to sign a transaction where it is like it's government recognized, but, uh, but you didn't have to like physically go anywhere and you can, you know, get your money like relatively sooner than ra rather than just showing up and, and getting a loan. So, mm -hmm. How much goes into the idea of like coming up with products that are that service like the existing problems today versus like overall bigger solutions? Because when it comes to like government adopting like private keys and all that, I feel like they're like, you know, 15 years behind. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we definitely have that in mind. We're like cognizant of it uh, at all of our product decisions. Our target right now to be honest, is solving the products of today that we can get adoption on because, you know, digital identity is still fairly nascent. Like we're still building all this kind of stuff out and you need to have use cases, you need to have people using it. And that often kind of drives the government adoption of technologies, like seeing stuff out there being like, okay, we've got to, they're more reactionary than they are proactive. Mm. So you've got to be able to get it out there. Uh, but there are things that we know in some of our product design stuff that's like, this will probably not scale to all 8 billion people on earth, mm. or this will not scale to every single person in the United States. Like you're not going to uh, expect right now, like a six month old baby to manage their own private yeah. key to like prove proof of humanity. If they need uh, like on a tax form uh, to show that they are dependent of somebody else for taxes, like yeah. that's not going to happen right now. That's probably not going to happen for a while. Uh, so, you know, we're not trying to solve for that case, but it's like in the back of your mind, like, okay, as we make these applications, how applicable is it to the general populace of, you know, the community that we're in, as well as the jurisdictions that we're hoping to work in? Hmm. And yeah, the answer is you can't solve it all now. So we're trying to make progress with things that are out in the market. Like we've seen need for the... <laughs> Um, the DID for like metaverse and gaming, um, mm -hmm. as well as loan origination. You know, you don't want to be uh, having a person apply for different loans uh, from the same entity, but like right. with a bunch of different wallets. Like that's not great. You right. need to know the DID stuff. Um, you know, the AML risk score, like that's a big thing on the compliance side. Uh, it's not possible. You know, it wasn't possible on chain until recently. Uh, so those are things that we're seeing the necessity of for um, protocols, private companies, all that kind of stuff. But like the government stuff, it's, it's there in our mind, but it's not something that we're actually building towards at the moment. Is there any consideration about like, uh, <clears throat> I guess the, there's some proof of humanity protocols emerging within the web three space. I think that's independent of any real world, uh, verification processes is more like, I guess, peer to peer, peer, -to -peer. attestations, I yeah. guess, of, to verify that you're actually somebody who's you're human, actually real. Right? Yeah. Is there, is, do you think that's like a competing sector against what it is you guys are trying to do? Or maybe this is just another factor that can be implemented as part of your quadrata verification. Yeah. Is this something of consideration or not? Yeah. I think those things are really cool. I think it's, yeah. uh, it's you know, solving a similar problem in a different way, but has yeah. slightly different, uh, applications to it. 
uh, I don't see it as a competing product uh, yeah. per se of, you know, uh, you know, proof of humanity, you know, is something that like can happen in a multitude of different ways. It's something that could be incorporated into the Quadrata passport in the future of like these peer to peer attestations mm -hmm. uh, going on, which, you know, I think would be really interesting. So yeah, it's, I think it's great. I think that there are like the more people that we have working on these solutions, um, the better these solutions are eventually going to be. And so that's one of the reasons that the Quadrata passport is not in and of itself a, um, a standard, we are trying to standardize some things. And so if there's a better thing that comes out, it's like, great, like, let's see how we can adopt that. Let's see how we can standardize that and make it useful to all the applications that are using the Quadrata Passport or that would want to use a Quadrata Passport. So we're very much like a lot of, you know, we're not gonna think of all of the best solutions. We've got a great team, um, everybody's good, intelligent, thinking a lot of stuff, but like more people are going to come up with more and better solutions than, you know, some of the stuff that we have and like, let's incorporate that. That's why we're adding data points. We're adding all that kind of stuff. We got a really good proof of humanity that's coming in. It's like, Hey, we've got something that works. It's like, great. Like, let's throw that in, see what happens, see how the dApps can use it uh, to be able to do a different sort of decentralized identifier. And, yeah. you know, that allows something that doesn't, you know, cause our DID right now requires going through a KYC process. Mm -hmm. Like you have to confirm that, you know, you're, you match the government ID that you have this name, you have this birthday, all that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas the other proof of humanity things like don't require that. Yeah. And that's a really interesting thing. Like you might yeah. not need things that have KYC mm. to do certain sort of, uh, types of transactions. Yeah. Do you feel like you're, you might receive some resistance from the web three ethos of trying to remain anonymous? Like, is there, is there a place for anonymous interactions in the web three space? Or do you think like in the long term? Like everyone's going to have a digital identity. I, I mean, I think there's a place for anonymous transactions. I definitely believe that there is pushback. Um, I mean, as as there should be, you know, when you're trying to come up with new identity stuff, there yeah. should be pushback. There should uh, be all this kind of stuff. So, the way that we are we are managing this right now is like, and it's part of values that you know we're trying to do web three identities in a privacy preserving way. Mm. Privacy preserving is slightly different than anonymity. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but we are trying to. Uh, not publish any sort of PII, uh, which is like both an individual segment of PII, as well as being aware of combined factors that can still be uh, traced back to an individual where like each individual thing, like you couldn't necessarily like say, hey, you know, that's Steve over here. But sure. uh, with a combination of factors, you can like, you know, figure out who they are. So we're trying to uh, do this in as a privacy preserving way as possible. But I do think that there are spaces for anonymous transactions yeah. uh in DeFi. and so like you know it's it's as you said earlier on like it's a spectrum of what is actually required mm -hmm. uh and you know we hope that people that require being at this end of the spectrum that we have a solution for them yeah. if they require being at that end of the spectrum like this is not the solution for you like if if you want to be totally anonymous you shouldn't have a quadratic passport mm -hmm. unfortunately there are those things that link together mm -hmm. you know if you're on the chains but that's uh that's a, a very difficult problem to solve because things are out there forever in history, yeah. uh, unless you're using like a privacy chain like Zcash or you know Monero or something like that. Wow. So that brings up to the next question. So is privacy preserving down to, um, like, let's say, can, could you build something like this on Zcash? Is that even a possibility where the the data that gets implemented within Zcash remains anonymous, but... But you still, but you know, as a, as a DAP provider that, you know, that the people leveraging this protocol, I know that they're human, but I don't know who they are. Yeah. I, I don't know Zcash well enough to know if that's the case, but I feel like that's a really good application of yeah. it. There are probably ways to do that under specific protocols. And if not, there will be in the future. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that, you know, being able to basically have some sort of like auditable check that you did perform some sort of uh, AML um, screening against the people that are using your protocol, but you don't necessarily know who they are or what they did. Mm -hmm. That sounds great to me. Um, yeah. I would love to see that implemented somewhere. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. Cause uh, it's like, 
I, and I'm also thinking about sort of your, your third party service providers too, because if they're holding a bunch of personally identifiable information, but if they hold it in a way where even if the FBI came to like query is like, you know, who really owns this ETH address? I need to see their information. There's nothing that the service provider could give the FBI to like crack the encryption to show that, you know, encrypted file. Mm -hmm. Right. But you know, I, I guess with uh, regulations, they might have to give that information up, but who knows uh, if you implement it in a way where it's, there's just nothing I can do like as a, as a service, you know, holding this data, mm -hmm. there's nothing I can do FBI to give you this information. Cause I don't have the private key. Yeah. Like I don't, I just can't, I, I could give you the encrypted database, but it's going to take you, you know, a thousand years to crack it, mm. but maybe FBI could crack it. They've yeah. cracked a bunch of stuff before. So yeah, just kind of thinking out loud on on this stuff. All right, so what about, uh, just kind of th going through the questions here. Let's see, so what do you think decentralized identity could enable like the DeFi ecosystem to like flourish? Is is that like one of the missing pieces with, uh, with DeFi or does decentralized identity just give more credence, more impact to what DeFi ecosystem is doing and as far as like being recognized as a financial sector in, in the economy. Yeah. And I guess because we've we've talked about there's probably going to be like two classes now within the Web3 ecosystem at some point. I mean, it kind of already is predominantly over time. Like in the past, the, the, the ethos was much more leaning towards decentralization. I think right. nowadays, I think the sector, the space and the users themselves were kind of like almost begging for regulation at this point. Yeah. For many reasons, you know, everybody's kind of like waiting for the day where institutions feel comfortable, you know, d dabbling in the space. And like you're saying, actually be, being participants in uh, things like providing liquidity or whatever. But they need these uh, primitives to kind of right. roll out first. Right. Yeah. So uh, there could be I, there could be a future where there's one much more like institutionally backed DeFi ecosystem mm. and then one that's a little more fringe security or, or you know, uh, What's it called? Privacy enabled stuff like that. Yeah. You know? Maybe you're right. There might be two sectors of DeFi. It's like one sector of DeFi follows like the regulation, OFAC, all that stuff. Yeah. And then another sector is like, we, we believe in like complete anonymous, like decentralized finance. Yes. Because part of the, the mission behind DeFi, right, is to give access to financial services to a large segment of humanity who doesn't even have any real institutional ties, right? Yeah. The unbanked. So I feel, I feel like in that scenario, you might come into the situation that Tornado Cash went into. Mm -hmm. They just created a privacy protocol that was used nefariously, and all of a sudden, like, OFAC basically shut them down, right? You can still access it, but, mm -hmm. you know, from a from a large standpoint, it's not, it's not a good project anymore. Mm. Um, and so if you're creating a DeFi protocol that doesn't have all these, like, decentralized identity checks, then OFAC could be like, well, you can't use this because there's no way of knowing anything about what anyone's doing. Yeah. So that's the risk, I guess. Yeah. So I guess the ultimate question is, yeah. Basically, like, what what is your, what do you envision, I guess, the actual adoption, yeah. like in the consensus uh, outcome to, you know, the industry uh, picking, I guess, what, what every uh, DeFi protocol will eventually, I guess, utilize in the same way we all kind of rely on MetaMask as our standard wallet provider, right? What is the process that you guys think uh, the industry or the, the sector will come to that consensus? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a really interesting question mm -hmm. of, you know, what, is, what does the future hold for DeFi, especially yeah. around digital identity? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I see a... I see multiple players in this space. Yeah. Um, and I think that that kind of addresses some of the spectrum issues of being like, this is like an institutional, like real buttoned up. And then this is like a more anonymous, you know, thing. I think there's also stuff in the middle of like, this is like a semi known thing. You know, you're talking about the, that proof of humanity, those other types of protocols going in that aren't necessarily KYC. I think that there are room for stuff like that or specific attributes or something to be, in that in-between space as well. So I don't think it's an all or nothing, uh, but yeah, I mean, so there's like the known stuff that we know of institutions need compliance protections mm -hmm. for them to deploy more capital on chain. Yeah. So even the institutions are within a spectrum. There are hedge funds that are already, you know, in DeFi protocols and they're like, cool, we're doing this, but you know, some banks are not allowed to do that or the, 
There's a hedge fund whose compliance department is a little bit more strict, like we're not going to take on that kind of regulatory risk. So that's already a spectrum there. We see that with digital identity. That's a known thing that can happen. Uh, it's a known thing in Metaverse to have like some proof of humanity, DID stuff to make these games not have bots in them or to be able to like allow those uh, systems to be a little bit better. Those are known things. A lot of unknown stuff out there too. Like we can't foresee all of the use cases for digital identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's the compliance stuff. There's risk stuff with credit score, uh, those types of things. There's also social stuff, which, you know, people are already using uh, various NFTs to be part of different Discord channels through mm-hmm. verification or all of that kind of stuff. Like that's already happening with some digital identity stuff. And I don't really know exactly how that's going to proliferate. So that's one of the things that we're looking at our designs, like, okay, we're solving known problems. Yeah. But then people are going to come to us with unknown applications and be like, hey, can you solve this problem? And so that's one of the things that we don't think there's a set of data points that's known that like this is your digital identity. Mm. That can't be the case because society is going to change. Blockchain is going to change. Government regulations is going are going to change. So we're trying to be adaptable to be able to move forward into that future where like it's, you know, that kind of little hazy thing. We haven't explored those areas yet. We don't know what the terrain looks like. Mm. Uh, but I find it really fascinating. I think that's why it's going to be a really engaging space for quite some time, because as you get more to those edges of what digital identity can do, it's going to open up new space and new vistas. And you're like, wait, actually, we can do this now. That was something like, there's going to be stuff that we couldn't conceive of right now in designing digital identities that are going to be used in the future. Uh, and I don't know what those are, but I'm excited to find mm. that out. Uh, and hopefully they're not too dystopian. That's basically <laughs> the thing that, you know, trying to not do is like build the horrible dystopian future. Yeah, we, we deal with the same thing with the metaverse. Uh, you know, now with uh, Mark Zuckerberg changing Facebook to meta, all of a sudden there's a huge interest in, in the metaverse. And a lot of the detractors were saying is like, if we spend more time on, you know, the digital space, it's going to be a dystopian future. Mm. And we really don't see it that way. We mm-hmm. feel like there's a large part of humanity that doesn't have opportunities yeah. that that other parts of humanity have, only because they randomly were born in a bad in a different country, mm-hmm. right? And so I think with the metaverse, they'll be able to have access to economic opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have because they live, you know, in just like a third world country. Yeah, and so we see a lot less dystopian as far as like the metaverse goes and we see a lot more opportunity. And, and I think you, you guys like have like the same sort of dynamic with decentralized identity. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how yeah. like all these things are sort of converging. Mm-hmm. So let's, yeah, let's talk. Yeah. We see, uh, we see a ton of opportunity and are super optimistic. I don't want to bring the dystopian up stuff <laughs> too much, but we, we got to keep that in the back of our head, yeah, like not building sure. it, but yeah, like we're building because we see opportunity. Uh, we're not building just to avoid dystopia. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Cause, uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the metaverse. So, um, not to plug what we're doing, but, uh, we have a project that's building uh, a platform for developers and creators to make content for the metaverse. And part of that construction are we have creators like us included who are leveraging the platform to create distributed ecosystems. So think of a game then that instead of going to a single location to play that game in the metaverse, it's a game that's widely distributed to a community where that community is hosting the game on their own land. So pieces of the game are being hosted. So in, in our ecosystem, we have players who are traveling through different parts of the metaverse and accessing different parts of the game mm-hmm. to progress in that game. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we're seeing that uh, decentralized identity solves is the fact that we, with, with decentralized identity, we know that the players who are ho- not only hosting the game, but you know, interacting with the different game components, that they're all people. Yeah. Right. And they're not bots because yeah. the implication is, is that once this, this uh, ERC 20 token is on chain, there's a lot of reasons to exploit that token. Yeah. Right? Or, or do not re-contribute it, I guess, into within the ecosystem itself. So I think that, that over time we're starting to see that these are some of the native flaws and a lot of the play and earn me- mechanisms or right. just any kind of like activity to earn uh, ecosystem. So and as a result, yeah, it, it, it does, does tend to attract the demographic where, you know, if you if you understand, I guess, like the hierarchical, need, hierarchical needs of, of, of an individual human. Yeah. Maslow's you know, hierarchy. It, yeah. In, in certain in most cases, you know, these participants who have the financial motive to to, to you know, exploit contribute, they're going to take the off the route to which, you know, 
isn't a favorable one to the to the ecosystem. longevity, the sustainability of a, of an eco, of an economy, really. Yeah. So, and it only exacerbates that problem if if the people are they figure out a way to exploit that even further by you know injecting more and more non-human elements. Yeah, into and that. We've, we've seen this yeah. like execute in real time. Yeah, we have. And I'm not going to name names or anything, yeah. but but it's out there and it's prevalent yeah. and it is one of the dilemmas that exists in our, in this space, right? And uh, so I, the, feel, yeah. I feel like once the metaverse ecosystem matures and we start adopting things yeah. like decentralized identity, yeah. these problems will become less of a problem because now yeah. participants of an ecosystem are verified humans. Exactly. And um, then it's up to the designers of games to come up with a sustainable ecosystem, not yeah. one that gets exploited. Well, exactly. Well, yeah. Now you can address some of the other dilemmas that exist. Not, you know, as long as you know your ecosystem is, is true and honest and there's nothing potentially like misrepresented right you know by you know inflated uh numbers metrics i guess yeah. that might paint an, an accurate picture of what the actual economy right. metrics are i think over time that's going to attract even more like you know real engaged ecosystem participants who will reinvest their time into the economy and you know because of that you'll have more sustainable outcomes, right? Yeah, and I feel like it's going to be more authentic too because well, yeah. people participating, they know that we're all like together, right? They're all humans. Yeah, that, that, at base, that, that would be good to know. Yeah. <laughs> at base, like expectation when you're involved in some sort of virtual ecosystem, it'd be good to know everybody around me here is like, yeah. you know, we're all have a physical body to yeah. ourselves, right? <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be good. Um, I mean, I don't just, I don't want to say, you know, all humans, NPCs, always important parts <laughs> yeah. of games. But that's part of the design, rather than somebody that's doing an yeah. exploit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then there's and then there's a consideration of whenever AI does continue to mature, like at what point oh, yeah. does AI and NPCs and factor in? Like, you know, will they at some point be considered as equal or almost as equal Dude. as like human? contributors and then you know what, what does if, that mean no, what if yeah. digital ai npcs are just sanctioned off from like getting access to decentralized identity it's possible right? if they don't pass the quadrata uh, yeah that's true you know? they wouldn't they wouldn't pass but <laughs> man i guess uh, well, maybe they could they, they could, could figure out a way yeah. yeah they could just generate i don't like, know we might we might have yeah i might have an attribute in the future that's an ai id so yeah. you know that's true exactly. uh, that it's like yeah this is a known ai uh, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Uh, previous to Quadrat, I was actually at a chatbot company. Mm. Uh, oh, really? Working on some of this stuff and looking into AI. Yeah. So it's a it's a very interesting field, and like you know, a lot of people have very different opinions on how AI should be treated versus humans. Like, yeah. is it going to be on the same level? Is it going to be on separate levels? But you know, it's a nice thing about adaptability is that if it gets to the point where AI is like actual AI, and not a lot of this kind of like machine learning. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, you know, distillation of human achievement, but it's like actually making their own achievements. I feel like it's a, it'd be an interesting prospect, but you know, Quadrata Passport will be there for them uh, in, that, <laughs> in that future state. That's awesome. <laughs> so what's your position? Uh, if we achieve general, general artificial intelligence, uh, should we treat them uh, with uh, equal, uh, I guess, uh, respect as to other humans? Or what do you think? I mean, I think that general artificial intelligence is a really, really hard thing to define. Mm -hmm. uh, if we throw that out and just be like, accept that, yes, they are like their own intelligent species thing. I mean, I think there's a lot of ethical, moral, moral stuff uh, that has to be thought out. It's like, it's, it's very philosophical on that yeah. side. Like, yeah. uh, you know, we have, uh, in my opinion, like, you know, sentient other beings on this planet already uh, mm -hmm. that don't have equal stuff. And, you know, I'm a meat eater. Like I eat cows. Are cows sentient, intelligent beings? Probably yes. So, mm. you know, there are some things where like I'm utilizing cows in a way that I, you know, don't and wouldn't with humans. That's a really awkward sentence to say. <laughs> uh, but I think that AI is going to run into some of those, you know, same types of things and that they're probably like over time will be different ways that AI is treated. Like, you know, we still have, we have better animal protections and rights uh, than we did a hundred years ago, you know, post artificial intelligence. I think that that's also going to be something that's a progression over time. Hmm, that's interesting. You hear that? Will? no more bullying your AI. Yeah, I, I was, I was going to say I would bully my AI. Stop, just stop kicking your Roomba. Dude. Just, <laughs> just to, to keep like the psychological differences between 
you know, a, a dog, right? Because you wouldn't mistreat a dog. Yeah. Versus something that was like human generated. Yeah. Which we, I feel like we have to maintain that distinction. Otherwise, I think innately things get squirrely. Innately, part of that is just built into us, like how we value things, especially. Yeah. I think we obviously we value humanity more than anything, as I think we should. Yeah. Right. Because there's certain properties and qualities, I guess, to our existence that I don't think AI can really ever replicate. You yeah. know, the fact that. I guess the fact that we all know we're going to die at some point, yeah. will AI ever really get to that? I mean, can AI ever actually truly die if that's not the case? And yeah. what is the value in preserving that? Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, so if the, even if AI becomes an equal or greater than participant in any kind of ecosystem, whether it's the metaverse or anything yeah. of, that does produce value, how do we equally you know, redistribute you know, the yeah. rewards for that contribution like, you know, amongst humans and AIs? I don't know. It depends on how much affinity we build with them, I guess, over time. We might just fall in love with, with yeah. AI to the point where, like, you know what, dude? Yeah. Just give them everything. <laughs> Take over. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna have to go back to school for my uh, philosophy PhD to yeah, right? have a, a really true, deep opinion on this. Yeah. So, it, yeah. What, what's, uh, what's your take on all this AI stuff that's been happening, and how does it affect Quadrata? Like, do you guys are, are in consideration of like making adjustments as a result of like what's going on or is AI not to the point where it's really affecting your business yet? As of now, it's not really affecting our business. Uh, I think that there are um, probably more machine learning things that are going on, which is like these on-chain analytics uh, mm. stuff that's, okay. you know, how are wallets associated? How do you do groupings of transactions? All of that kind of stuff definitely impacts our, you know, AML risk score, stuff like that. Um, you know, there's probably some stuff that's happening on the on-chain analytics that could be titled AI by people in uh, the industry. I'm not sure exactly where that distinction is. And so I'm not going to say that one company is doing AI and another is doing machine learning or whatever. So that's the impact that it has right now. But we're otherwise not really designing for it other than being aware of, you know, like AI participants in metaverse eventually. Like that's a thing that we're not trying to solve for now, but it's like, I would say that's like, below the back of the mind sure, um you know sure. we'll cross that bridge when we get there sure. we know we know we can be flexible to do it like we design with flexibility in mind we just don't know how we'd actually solve it when it gets there well maybe uh instead of like trying to prevent others from using ai to like thwart your system you guys could leverage ai to determine whether submissions have have uh some sort of like uh bot bot mechanics to it bot, bot attacks so maybe oh, just yeah. like implementing ai machine learning from from your systems mm. perspective mm. would would increase the quality of everything being submitted mm. interesting yeah so that's the nice thing about the quadrata passport not being a uh a distinction in and of itself but it leverages um data providers and issuers and like tries to set a standardized system so they can, you know, with their third party providers, upgrade their systems over time. Like they can be like, hey, like, you know, we're now detecting deep fakes on these selfies. Like yeah, all there of you that, go. that is going to happen. And that, that basically gets automatically built into the Quadrata Passport because the issuers are making upgrades to their systems. They're keeping up with the technology gotcha. and we gotcha. have continuous monitoring going on. It's like, hey, we see that this person is like actually fake. So like that's not a real person anymore. We're going to like purge our attestations from the system. So it's, uh, it allows for that flexibility and allows to like grow with AI, grow with all of the, you know, new technologies that are coming up. So that's what I said with like designing for flexibility. We're not designing being like, this is the state of the world. This will be the state of the world in five years. This will be the state of the world in 10 years. It's, we're solving problems now. We're solving them in a flexible privacy preserving manner. Uh, and those should be applicable to problems five years from now and if they're not we can adjust yes that makes sense yeah because i feel like with everything that's going on with ai i feel like every project is scrambling to figure out how to implement some sort of elements of ai into their project mm. and uh so I, f I don't know do you do you are you picking that up too or is that just our own like uh, oh yeah there's there's all the trend i mean in the hype cycles of being like ai is big yeah. uh if you have ai in your product then you can get more funding i yeah, mean yeah. this is the same thing when like <laughs> watson first came out too like you know yeah. they're like oh every ai and everything like let's change ai to you know boost our stock price like yeah we saw that with crypto like yeah, it was the cycles the blockchain. Well. So there's the hype site there's 
Yeah, there's the hype cycle to everything. Um, I do think that AI is having, uh, because of these new applications of like stable diffusion and like yeah. uh, GPT-3 and like all that kind of stuff is like, it's on a type cycle, but you know, it's a little bit farther along because these applications are more real yeah. and more accessible than they were before. And like, it'll probably build up and then it'll go back down. And, you know, same with like the crypto cycles, like you have the hype yeah. and then you have people build and then you have the hype and you have yeah. people build. I think AI is on like a similar type yeah. of, uh, you know, fluctuation. Yeah. We're, yeah. So when, when it comes to the, the cycles, we feel like, uh, the digital identity is going to be hot in the next cycle metaverse AI. We feel like all these things yeah. are going to be like the most attractive, uh, yeah. investment opportunities, if you will. Yeah. If anything is going to fuel or funnel like a DeFi 2.0 mania, it's, yeah, it's, it's got to be the identity and reputation. I think hundred uh, percent standards have to exist right in order for yeah. new protocols to emerge, new products and services and offerings to yeah. become available. Right. So yeah, I think that's where we're kind of anticipating, that's why it was so important to identify projects like like you guys because we you know we, we kind of knew this was coming yeah a while ago yeah but we could it would be had difficulty figuring out you know who's actually going to enable all this stuff right yeah so um are there any other projects you have in mind you, you mentioned cred is uh i think a partner of you guys right who is yeah. who is focused on the reputation side and credit scoring on chain any other partners you guys are working with that are going to help i guess yeah, push so DeFi? We, uh, yeah, so we just had an announcement yesterday of uh, what nine other, um, or sorry, eight other uh, nine total, including Cred, that are integrating with the Quadrata oh, wow. Passport. So, nice. yeah, we're building stuff out. Um, there's some metaverse stuff going on. Um, there's some like ESG investment. There's uh, um, adding liquidity. There's some unsecured lending. Like mm -hmm. the applications for digital identity are are huge. Yeah. So we've got partners that are going on in like very different uh, you know spaces. And I think that's what's really amazing about what we have built is that it's applicable to a wide variety of DApps, and it's not uh, you know not pigeonholed into like being like, hey, this is the one place that you can use this or like here's a true false uh response to like is this person compliant because that doesn't make sense for all the applications so mm -hmm. that's one of the things that like distinguishes us from like some of the other digital identity providers in the space that they're solving a particular problem often for themselves which is a really great way to start we're solving a problem for a lot of different dApps um so we're built to be utilized in different ways rather than mm -hmm. like built for a specific purpose that might also be applicable to something else um but yeah as i said like it's heating up there are a lot of other uh projects out there that are trying to solve um some of this identity stuff so uh yeah come uh come check out the quadrata website uh we'll be updating our partner list soon but you know we've got truefi archblock bsos uh cello cr chi and space uh in addition to cred uh, that we just announced so wow. uh, they're all great projects to work with they're all doing like really interesting stuff so uh check it out oh absolutely yeah i really appreciate your time travis uh so this has been one of the more interesting uh i, I guess conversation we had just because we've been thinking about this for a long time and we've sort of known that our own project needs something like this yeah and uh so we've we've come up with like different like what are our requirements for like a de decentralized identity that we need in order to make our project you know much more improved right so i really appreciate your time travis um we definitely need to get you back on i, I think we have more questions um i, I guess that we want to cover but definitely in another call but but yeah travis i appreciate your time yeah. man yeah happy to have that uh, you know sales integration call oh yeah let's uh, do it see if we actually solve your problems as yes. well as uh you know answering more questions about the general stuff of the space and yeah anybody else that's listening that needs an identity solution like please reach out to quadrata we're happy to talk um you know, we're very much hands-on in implementation right now. So uh, we're trying to really help enable the early people in the space. So yeah, we're, we're, we're out there. We're doing it. That's awesome. We're definitely going to stay in touch because yeah. this is something that we need. So uh, we're going to stay in touch. And uh, and yeah, uh, hopefully you enjoy the conversation. Uh, I feel like... Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. I feel like we bring a little bit different angle. But uh, but yeah, thank you for, for coming on. And uh, we will catch you, I guess, in another call, man. Great. Thank you so much. You guys have a have a wonderful time. Thanks again for having me on.